Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends and how they define the world around us. Welcome to the sexiest episode of all. <laughs> episode 69, Kim. Kim, be mature. <laughs> you know, you only get to have an episode 69 one time. That's true. So it's going to be really special. Really special. It's going to be a really special romantic evening. <laughs> sensual. <laughs> sensual Christmas. Light some candles, uh, maybe put on some lotion, a nice teddy, and get ready for episode 69 of the department. So, as you all know, I traveled to Japan after the holidays, and Kim and I thought it might be good to talk about the trends that I saw there. And boy, did I see some really incredible trends. In the realm of buying here in the United States, we always look to Japan to be on the cutting edge of fashion, especially in the younger market. And for years, Men's buyers have been going hard on Japanese shopping as inspiration for product stories here in the United States. I worked with this one guy. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, he's kind of a cheese ball. And he, not not an unrefrigerated. Yeah, that sounded delicious for a second. <laughs> I was like, what kind of cheese ball are we not talking like? Not like a Swiss colony cheese ball. <laughs> <laughs> or are we talking about like the little puffs, like the cheese ball puffs? Yes, the ones that get the orange stains on your skin. Oh, so yes. this guy was kind of a cheese ball and he was head of men's for a big retailer I've worked for, we'll just say. Mm. And basically all he would do is go to Japan like twice a year for way longer than he needed to and just like take photos of everything, come back and copy it. Even down to like how he dressed on a daily basis. And it was so weird to me. <laughs> like I was yeah. like, mm -hmm. dude, bro, like have have your own identity. Anyway, men's buyers, especially in like the like the younger or more contemporary market, have been really looking to Japan for years now. And more and more women's buyers have been going in that direction too. And it is true that in the six years that I have been traveling to Japan pretty regularly, I have seen ideas and trends happening there about a year or two before they happen here. And that can be fashion trends, but can also be home interior trends, uh, social trends, mm -hmm. uh, just like the kinds of characters and merch people like to buy. It always starts there. Why? I, I have no idea. But I am so excited to share all of the things I saw while I was there because it was super inspiring to me as a person who loves thinking about this kind of stuff. And I get so much personal and creative inspiration every time, everywhere I go, mm -hmm. but especially in Japan because it's just, it's just everywhere. And oh man, it felt so good to be back there. You know, I've only been once. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was really amazing. And, you know, we, I, I went for a shopping trip. So all I did was shopping, um, and eating, of course. Um, so you gotta was, eat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's really, it's really exciting to, um, to be able to explore all of the, um, the finery that Japan has to offer. And everyone got Christmas gifts from Japan that year and was very, they were very excited. Yes. Yeah. Best <laughs> gifts. Uh, like gifting 
is such a big deal from a social perspective yes, in Japan. So like, you know, I think we might have talked about this a couple episodes ago, but like all of the train stations, for example, are filled with shopping opportunities. Yes, with like gifts. They all have like a mall. Yeah, and it's all gift You go and you get your gift before you go somewhere else because you have to stock up on gifts and give out gifts to wherever you're going. Right, right. And it's a lot of food gifts. Yep, lots of cookies. But it's other mm-hmm. stuff too. Uh, really into like regional food gifts, which I think is great. Like imagine if someone came to visit you, I don't know. To me, as a person who grew up in Pennsylvania, the thing that people would always bring you when you lived somewhere else is they would bring you tasty cakes and yingling beer. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What's a tasty cake? Um, You know what? They used to be really good when I was a kid, and I've definitely eaten my share of tasty cakes. But it's like a Pennsylvania bakery. It's like snack cakes. Better than huh. Little Debbie. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. I would say I now. Know. Little Debbie is pretty delicious. Yeah. I would say now <laughs> little, little Debbie is winning because I think that like when we were kids, they used more real ingredients and whatnot in Tasty Cakes. But over years, like like all processed foods uh, that we've grown up with. Has gone yeah, down. Big time. Big time. Um, whereas like, I don't know what they're doing at Little Debbie's, but it, it holds. It holds up still. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I Little Debbie's number one for sure. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like imagine if you'd never if Little Debbie's were only something you could get back home and someone brought them to you in L.A. Like that's pretty cool. You yeah, know? that is. It's very cool. So I love I love the food gifting. But in general, Japan is really a culture of gifting and you give a lot of gifts to a lot of people. A lot. <laughs> uh, and that means the shopping there is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely major consumerism environment like honestly and i'm sure you experienced this too kim like the opportunity to spend money is you're surrounded by it at all times that's true like oh i'm at the train station particularly the novelty of it where you're just like oh my god there's all this stuff that i've never seen before and it's so incredible and it's like you know there's coin machines everywhere to buy little trinkets and like every everything has a gift shop and it's like the best gift shop you've ever been to and all the transportation hubs are filled with shopping malls and the shopping malls themselves are like the best shopping malls which we'll talk about more in this episode as well but just in general like japan is a country that has has in real life brick and mortar retail on lockdown it's it's so good um they're just doing the best version of it i'm so jealous that you just got to go that's so that's that's so awesome. I'm so excited to hear what you saw. Sorry, I have a dog nosing me and it's like <laughs> Well, it is episode four- 69. <laughs> it's 4:30 and apparently oh he thinks that it's his dinner time. So hopefully he'll relax for another hour otherwise I might have to get up and feed him to make him leave me alone. Okay. Well, so, well we're on dog food watch right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I am going to tell you Kim that mm-hmm. I am planning that I am probably going to go back to Japan in like May. Wow. And that's because one, I am a mega thrifty traveler and two, yes, I am a mega thrifty person in real life, so I like rarely eat out in restaurants or go out for drinks or do anything else. So I can spend money to travel because it's like my greatest joy in life. And you're a really good traveler too. I am a really like good traveler. Plan yeah. And you you know exactly what you're gonna do. And it's just, you know, you've got that to unlock down also. I love organizing a trip and almost as much as I like being on the trip. Um and you know what? Like the other thing is I didn't get to do all the things I wanted to do. You know? Um it was, that week went by really fast. So I can imagine, yes. Yeah. So 
I have so, so much to tell you, but of course, all of you are waiting. When yes. is Kim going to give her <laughs> spiel? So Kim, go for it. I'll do it really fast. All right. It's our weekly reminder just to, you know, let your friends know about the podcast. Um, I'm always recommending podcasts to people, including my my very own. But the second I hear something, I'm immediately telling everyone. So please get on the horn. Let everyone know about the department. Um, second, also make sure to follow us on any of your preferred streaming services. Not only do you get notified, but it helps helps us um, be seen more. The more people mm-hmm. we have following us, the more credit we get for our credibility we get from the podcast service. So, you know, follow on all the accounts you have, you know, if, if you if you really want to help out. And then uh, lastly, also uh, give us a star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, those are also appreciated. Um, and then last but not least, give us a follow on Instagram. Um, we have a great community on there. Lots of inside jokes and lots of um, colorful images and follow-ups um, during each week. We you know, push forward a bunch of um, visual imagery of things that we're talking about on the podcast. So it's always fun to follow that. And if you're looking for any show notes, any image references, you can find it on our website, thedepartment.world. Thank you, Kim. I just wanted to say that one of my favorite phrases to work into conversation is get on the horn. Get on the horn. <laughs> the best. Bring get it back. Bring it back. Um, so thanks for using that. Okay. So yeah, today we're going to talk about what I saw on my trip to Japan. And I would suspect, especially when we talk about the, the style trends here, that we're going to see see this stuff roll into the U.S. in the coming year or so. So in case you all missed it, well, you all missed this because a lot of this will be edited out. Uh, <laughs> Kim had to take a break to feed the dog. We did not make it through the whole episode. <laughs> we didn't. It, we did it. Barely. I didn't think it was going to happen because he was loitering around. And I just like, I was like, he's just not going to, he's not going to relax. No, he's, yeah, yeah, I get it. Once it's in their head, that's that. And I just had the same yelling at my cat situation like an hour ago. Okay. They're like trying to push up mealtime every day, just a little yes. bit earlier. Like Janet starts, Janet's like hanging out in the food area starting at 4.30 and dinner is at 6. Yeah, and, oh, she, yeah. and then she starts uh-huh. meowing. And so then everybody's like, oh, are we eating now? And then everyone shows up and is like, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Janet, Janet. (laughs) So, okay, we fed the dog. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about Japan trends. And the first thing I just wanted to touch on, because I know if you don't mention this, someone is definitely going to bring it up on Instagram, is this week has been a pretty epic week for Gwen Stefani. A person I had low-key forgotten about, um, except for, like, I saw her on The View a few years ago, and I was like, who is that person? Oh, I just saw her in the Aviator. Oh, we just really? we just watched the Aviator, and I was like, "Oh, it's like Gwen Stefani." She's had so much work done. Oh, really? like, oh my god! I, I, look. I was like, Dustin, who is that woman? And he was like, "I don't know." And then I said, "She seems so familiar. She must be like a famous oh. musician." And then I did Google it, and I was like, "That it is Gwen Whoa, Stefani." Her face. Yeah. 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 I mean, listen. Do what makes you happy, but wow, Gwen Stefani yeah. is really way different. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. you know she's she's infamous for appropriating all kinds of culture over her lifetime. She gave a really bad interview this week. I can't even remember who it was. Was it Vanity Fair? I don't know, but she, you know, as far as I can tell, without anyone bringing it up, really allure. Her, it was allure. allure. Okay, put her foot in her mouth about 
the way she has appropriated Japanese culture in the past. I mean, she had a whole brand called Harajuku Girls, remember? And a whole video, oh and a gosh, song, and all those perfumes. That. We sold that stuff at Urban Outfitters back in the day. Like, we sold so much of it. It all smelled really bad. Um, And, you know, she... <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to bring it up. That, what, did like, it, what did it smell like? Uh, things I don't like. Flowery okay. or air freshenery mm. or you know how I don't know I'm really uptight about fragrance and I only like things that have like a natural smell and a lot of like lab created fragrances I mean they're artificial they're made from esters uh they tend to have this like really specific sort of like inauthentic fragrance to them mm-hmm. there are a few fragrances like that are you know I know are developed the same way that like unlock memories for me and are very tolerable like I I kind of still like Clinique Happy. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't wear it, but I smell it and I'm like, oh, or like. Yeah, that's the style right, right there. Right, or Marc Jacobs Daisy. That's another one where if I get a whiff yeah. of it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the Harajuku Lover's perfume. It was like so cute. It was in these adorable bottles, but it's all, it's like you wanted to like it, but then you smelled it and you're like, yeah, no, this is like not for me. Anyway, um, we know us talking about Japan and the trends out of Japan is not, we're not me- trying to be Gwen Stefani over here. But what we are talking about is a phenomenon that I can't fully understand why it happens this way, but just so many style trends in the past 10 years, maybe even longer, have come directly from Japan. It's, it's the most interesting thing to me. Um, so one thing I noticed immediately when we arrived in Tokyo was the economic impact of several years of no international tourism. It was oh, really I noticeable. Bet. Yeah. How many years has it been since you've been there? Well, I haven't been there since late 2019. We were supposed to go wow. in spring of 2020, but obviously could not. And mm-hmm. Japan has been closed to tourists for qu- quite quite some time. In fact, international visitors were allowed to return late last summer but it was a part of this sort of byzantine tour group structure where you would have to be with a tour group the whole time and pay them a fee and so and the idea was like it was to keep track of you right make sure you're wearing a mask and you're not wandering around being typhoid mary covid mary i guess breathing all over people right right and so a lot of people were sort of like that's not for me it's definitely not for me i don't want to ride it around on a bus with a bunch of people um but also it was expensive because you would take the regular expenses of going on a big trip like this and then add a couple thousand dollars to be a part of a tour group. So it brought in some tourism, but like, I don't think it was as much as Hardly. The Japanese yeah. government not, had a, not a lot of people would want that yeah. kind of So it pretty, pretty fast, it turned out that that wasn't make, having much of an impact. And so in October, the country fully opened its doors to international travelers you have to be fully vaxxed. You have to have at least three shots. Um, if you come in from China, you have to have a negative test. That was after almost three years of no international tourism. And I had had an inkling, you know, in the past that tourism was a big part of the Japanese economy, just based on things I would see and experience when I was there. But I started reading a lot more about this during the pandemic, especially in the past year, as more and more Japanese people were becoming disgruntled with the economic impact of basically shutting the country off to the rest of the world. 
Um, and so I was seeing more content and information around that. And so I knew that it was like a pretty big deal, but I got to tell you, I looked into the value of the Japanese tourism market and it kind of blew my mind in terms of the size of it. So in 2019, last year before the pandemic, the economic impact of Japanese tourism was estimated at almost 56 trillion yen, which I, unless any of you are really great at converting, I'll tell you that with the value of the yen against the dollar today, which is really low,、uh, that's 422 billion with a B、wow. US dollars. To get an idea of how much that money、that's、that is. That's a small little country, too. I know, I know. I think, and you hear 422 billion, and you're like, oh, like, What does that mean? Because it's you're like, it's a lot of money. And like, after a certain, I don't know, after someone gets past $100,000, I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Right. Well, the global apparel industry, meaning all the clothing that is made and sold every year on this entire planet, is estimated to hit $344 billion in revenue this year. So the Japanese tourism market. Is bigger than that. Wow. Yeah. Really, really big deal. Because if we stopped completely making and buying clothes, just like turned off a switch tomorrow, I mean, there would be like devastating economic effects, right? So、uh, in 2020, you know, I, I would say that probably Japan closed its borders by March for sure, or very early in March, maybe. That tourism number dropped to less than half of that. Landing at a little bit more than 22 trillion yen. And that's a difference of about $254 billion,、wow. which is larger than the amount of money Americans spend on clothing every year. I mean, it's like a big, big chunk of money. And that means a lot of small businesses, a lot of service workers, a lot of retail, just rippling effects on the economy in Japan. That is so sad. It is.、Hear. It is. It's really hard for me to imagine what it must have felt like in、yeah. some of the cities.、Um, this was a major blow to many, many businesses and people throughout Japan. And when you think about it, tourism supports so many different industries. Yeah, of course, we've got like airports and travel, but we also have restaurants, hotels,、yeah, other transportation, whether it's taking a cab, a train. You know, even public transportation,、um, shopping, so much, especially in Japan where there's so much shopping, right? Services, whether that is people taking you on tours or helping you with your travels in a variety of different ways, like getting your papers together or Wi Fi devices to use on your trip or SIM cards or any of the numerous other things that you end up spending money on in a trip. All of that took a major hit. And like I said in the beginning of the episode, Japan makes it really easy to drop a lot of money on souvenirs, food, experiences, because there is so much incredible stuff to do. There's something for everyone. Just piled on top of itself. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and small businesses are a key component of any tourism situation in Japan. It's very different than it is here in the United States, where You know, real talk, a lot of hotels are parts of chains and collectives now, right?、Um, public trans, not public transportation per se, but transportation as a whole, whether that's like train, bus, or airplane here in the United States, it's narrowed down to just a few big businesses.、Um, 
you know, even if you go to like the national parks, a lot of the services like food and shopping and even lodging are owned by large corporations now that are doing it on contract. And so, yes, there are still small businesses in tourist destinations here in the United States, but not not in the way it is in Japan. I mean, I'm guessing that that's probably also where a lot of the innovation comes from. The small businesses? Yeah. I think so, too. I think because like, you have to be competitive. Like, I mean, I could go on about this for hours, but, you know, the idea of capitalism that is unfortunately failing in late stage capitalism is that people are competitive with one another. And that means they keep creating better products and services. They serve the customer better. Right. They innovate. But unfortunately, as uh, wealth inequality widens and like less companies but they're much bigger companies are doing most of the selling of things. Things aren't as good for us. Competition doesn't yeah, matter, right? Exactly. So I saw the impact of this decreased tourism almost immediately. You know, Narita, the bigger airport in Tokyo, has a shopping mall before security. I'm sure you've been to it, Kim. And mm -hmm. it's actually usually full of really great shops and restaurants. Incentivizes travelers to arrive super early to take advantage of it because it's actually nice and there's cool stuff there that you can like only get at the airport. Which, even saying that out loud, makes me laugh. Uh, living in the land of Hudson News and like yes, the same crappy, exactly. crappy airport stores, <laughs> right? Um, but like he, Dustin and I are always like, oh yeah, don't miss the mall at Narita. Like we always tell people that. Like there's cool stuff there. Gosh, I haven't been. This this is now. I gotta go. <laughs> Well, on this trip, only about a quarter of the stores were open. In fact, <gasps> oh, wow. I think a quarter might be generous. It was probably less. And there were only- it's like a ghost town. It was a ghost town. It was weird. And only two restaurants were open. Um, there's usually, I would say, like about half a dozen restaurants there. So what we would generally do is get to the airport early, eat one last like hot meal before we mm -hmm. eat whatever horrendous things we're going to eat on the airplane. Um, can I just tell you, so we flew United this time. And the food, like Kim, I know that airplane <laughs> food is known for being not good, right? Okay. This was like shocking. <laughs> like I, okay, so, you know, I- I can only imagine. Right? So I always get a gluten-free meal. Dustin always gets mm -hmm. vegetarian. Well, something happened where they messed up my reservation. And so I didn't get a special meal at all. And to be fair, on most airlines, the gluten-free meal, it, it can be kind of weird. Like, there was one flight we had where, this was a few years ago, where they brought me my tray. And basically, everywhere on Dustin's tray where there was a bread or grain product, they had just put a glass of water. So I had, like, three <laughs> glasses of water on my gluten-free tray. Water? It was so weird. I was like, who did this? <laughs> anyway, so... I just wow. say uh, they brought us breakfast at one point and I opened it. They said, do you want the omelet or do you want noodles with pork? And I was like, well, I can't eat noodles. So I guess I'll have the omelet. Kim, I open it. I peel back the foil. There is an omelet of some sort in there. Doesn't look super savory. There's a weird, super mushy, like croquette <laughs> of hash browns. But then... The, running the entire length of it was this very, <laughs> so gross, this very pale hot dog. Oh, no. A hot dog? Like a pale hot dog. It, is, was this, was, was this for the American 
your customer where they're like, well, you know, they love hot dogs over there. Oh my God. I don't know. I gas <laughs> and covered it back up. This is so uh-huh. appropriate for the 69th episode of the department. Mm-hmm. And Dusty was like, what's going on? And I'm like, no, don't, don't look under there. It's, don't it's appalling. And he was like, what? And he, he, he oh. did it and he was like, why is that hot dog so pale? I was like, I don't know. Cover it up. Cover it up. It's like, it's, it's cursed. We gotta just take it away. Um, anyway, so, you know, airplane food, generally pretty bad. This one being exceptionally bad, but you could always count on Narita at least giving you like one last great meal. Oh, wait. I, actually, I have one thing. Okay. Just in regards to this, I, I went to um, to South Korea for a little bit uh-huh. um, a, a while ago. I was there for um, uh, Fashion Week there. And um, sorry, the dog is barking. Oh, jeez. Um, we've we're pandering to him. I know. He's just, it's, Neil is out. He's coming back soon. Um, anyway, um, they, they kind of would, they would always like kind of like uh, rustle us up in, into these like, um, these rooms that they, you know, they kind of, they, they moved us around and they would feed us um, during this fashion week. And they, they, they thought that Americans love sugar so much. <laughs> well. <everything> was, <laughs> it's true. It's true. But everything was just sugar. Just sugar everything. It was crazy. I was like, is this, what is all this stuff? It was just all sugar. It's like cookies and breads and cakes. And it was just like, that was it. Wow. Not even one pale hot dog. Oh, no pale hot. I mean, I'm like, I would have loved a pale hot dog, like a little bit of protein. It's true. Yeah, desperate times, I guess. And I just want to reiterate, like, it was a hot dog. Some of you might say, Amanda, it was probably sausage. It was the exact measurements of a hot dog oh yeah Mm -hmm. it was a hot dog but it's just a pale pale hot dog dog. um anyway i can't count on airplane food i mean we all know that but i was like this is the next level like this is shameful i would rather they bring me a tray that has three glasses of water and a dry salad on it which is what i usually (laughs) get uh and i'm like wow i had 30 calories in 12 hours um don't worry i know you're feeling really anxious for me but i did go to 7-Eleven before we got on the oh, plane yes. in the airport and ha- uh, got us some egg salad sandwiches. Mm-hmm. We also chugged two cans of highball before we got on. Oh, like in cute. the 7-Eleven in, the, in Narita, you can just go in there, buy a can of alcohol and drink it as you're hanging out in the airport. Oh, that's so cute. And so I was like, you know, it, it took the edge off. Anyway, okay, so... I totally lost my train of thought. Okay, so we're talking about Narita and how all that stuff was closed. And that was really, really surprising to me to see so many empty spaces because, like, you have a captive audience in that airport, and those stores were doing a great business. So a few days later, we went to Harajuku. And I'm going to come back to that in a few. But something that struck me immediately is that there were so many empty retail spaces on Takashita Street, which I'm sure you've been to, Kim, if you were there for shopping. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. super narrow. Uh, Some people call it Teens Holy Land. It's a major destination for tourists and locals alike. You get so many people taking photos of themselves at the entrance to the street. It's basically across the street from the Harajuku train station. And on weekends and holidays, it's virtually impossible to walk through the crowd. So locals go there for sure, but also a lot of tourists. Um, And it's this super narrow street, really more of an alleyway, and it's pedestrian only. It's always been the sort of younger, more affordable little sister to Omote Sando, which is the main street of Harajuku. Uh, So it's this like narrow thing. It's full of teenagers and tourists. 
And the street is lined from basement level to several stories up with stores and cafes. And the stores here, they do crazy amount of business. Most of them are small businesses too. There's only a few major brands like Daiso and Wago having outposts on that street. And the Daiso there is three stories. Although even, I will tell you, Daiso looking a little light on inventory, which I thought was interesting. interesting. Um, and Wago is a chain of, I don't want to call it fast fashion. We'll just say youth fashion. Um, and it's for people of all genders. They sell secondhand and new clothes. And uh, I, why I say I don't call them fast fashion is that, yes, they are trendy. And I, I don't know anything about their supply chain, so it might be bad. But they will deliver a season worth of styles and that's it. So it's not like what we're used oh, to here where yeah. it's like new stuff every day, every week, right? Like it's like, here's what we're going to have for fall. And at the end of fall, it'll go on sale. And then we're going to bring in what we have for spring. And like, that's it. So it's not constantly like new arrivals. And I would say the price point is in line with like maybe Urban Outfitters, you know, and a similar like demographic for sure. Um, so those are the only, Daiso and Wigo are the only like bigger companies that you'll find on, on, this, on Takashita Street. Um, there is a McDonald's there which I think has been there forever, but there are no other Western brands there as of now. What you will find are lots of way ahead of the trends, clothing and accessories, along with stores selling Lolita stuff, lots and lots of cute snack places. Like if you love an Instagrammable food, this is where you're gonna find it. Um, there's also a coffee shop there that makes these really amazing, like thick pillowy pancakes with strawberries on them, five stars. Uh, one time Dustin and I uh, separated in Japan so he could go look at record stores. And I immediately got on the train, went to Harajuku, went to this coffee shop and had a pancake. And I was like, this <laughs> is living. Although people were smoking in there, which I was like, oh, I forgot that people smoke. <laughs> anyway, so there's all Do they still smoke inside? Um, yeah. In, in cafes, you can they have some sort of special i do remember that but not yeah, necessarily in that. restaurants right I, I haven't really encountered smoking in like regular restaurants just in these like cafe coffee shops they're definitely like their own special category of thing but there are like smoking rooms in every hotel airport etc like we checked into a hotel in Tokyo for one night near Tokyo Station just so we could like sleep before we got on the train to Kyoto the next day. And as after we walked around the corner from the front desk to go back to our room, we passed the like smoking room where you go just sit in there and smoke. And I'm sure maybe you mm -hmm. noticed when you were there, Kim, the like smoking parks. Like you aren't allowed to just walk around and smoke yes. in Japan. Oh, out on the street. Yeah. There's signs everywhere. You'll be yeah, fined. Yeah, I think you get, you get fined yeah, for it. Yeah. So you mm -hmm. can only smoke in smoking rooms or in smoking parks and the people in the smoking parks they look so sad they're just like smoking as fast as they can and no one's talking it's very weird uh <laughs> but yet there are cigarette machines everywhere like people are smoking you just don't see it um anyway so takashita street full of all this cute and amazing stuff it's also the hub of kawaii culture with really cute candy stores all the gifts ever, and even a small mall that's called the Cute Cube. This is like 
prime real estate. With a steady flow of customers virtually guaranteed every single day of the year, unless there aren't any international tourists. And in general, for the first time I ever, I saw so many empty retail spaces in on Takashita Street and in general, just in neighborhoods that draw a lot of tourists, whether it was in Tokyo or in Kyoto or even in Osaka, like just empty spaces in areas that are usually full and thriving. Now, when we were there last week, uh, it it was the New Year holiday, and basically all offices are closed, school is out. And so everywhere we went was super busy, including Harajuku, but it was Japanese people. It wasn't international tourists. So we still got the crowded experience, but yeah. you could see how many places were just gone. And specifically, it was the smallest businesses that disappeared. And Dustin was like, well, maybe they were always just hanging on. And I, sa- I said, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think that they did a really strong business, but when you take it away for almost three years, you can't, yeah, you can't, can't survive yeah, it. You can't survive it. Oh, so it's going to be interesting to see what moves into those spaces. They are still empty. I didn't see anything going on inside them. And I hope it's not disappointing because I feel like that street and that neighborhood as a whole are are really special. They're really like a community hub. One thing I did see, and this was everywhere we went, but specifically in Harajuku, was this general sort of gentrification, which I was telling Kim about earlier this week. And it was specifically gentrification by big Western brands. Oh, it just makes me so sad. Makes me so sad. So we're talking big Western brands like Nike, Adidas, the North Face, and Levi's. Now they've always they've always had locations in Harajuku, smaller footprint spaces, but they were there. And you know, to be fair, dead what we consider dead American brands like Toys R Us, Dean and Deluca, and Tower Records are still going very strong and thriving in Japan. That is fascinating. I know. And by the way, the is it Dean and Deluca? Yeah, we saw one in Kyoto, uh-huh. and I was like, "Wait." what is this like a ghost but people were coming in and out and they were looking so happy and then i looked it up and there are locations all over the place um and tower records has a very delicious cafe oh (laughs) i've been yeah once i mean it wasn't like a planned thing but we were like wait what tower records is like our first trip to japan and we were like there's a big tower records in shibuya and i was like wait what (laughs) could this be and we were both like oh man we love tower records so much when we were teenagers so we went in you know we went all the way to the top and walked all the way down and it was entirely cds with some books and some gifts but there was a cafe that had we were like well you know we got to know what's going on in the tower records cafe so we sat down and had had a little light lunch and it was really really good oh, yeah lovely. so american brands have had a place and western brands have had a place in japan for quite a while, but not not in a way in which they would be overshadowing or overtaking a neighborhood from Japanese brands and small businesses. But things have changed in the past few years, like definitely since the last time we were there in 2019. Um, the size of the spaces that these big brands occupy in Harajuku it has expanded so much. And that was so disappointing to me I mean, because for one, like, I don't really care about what's going on at the Nike store, right? But <laughs> no, I just exactly. see that at home. But also, 
Harajuku has always been about Japanese brands and small brands, emerging brands, right. local and small business, been. right? Harajuku- I used to subscribe to the, the Fruits magazine. Exactly, exactly. You know, and Harajuku was and still is the place where subcultures thrive and inspire others. Fruits being a really amazing example. Like, it feels like the Fruits era might be over. I don't know. I didn't see any amazing outlandish style like I've seen in the past. But it was winter, pandemic. Maybe I'll say it the next time I go. But it was it was I weird. If, I wonder if it's, if it's shifted somewhere else, you know, like how... You know, Williamsburg became really gentrified, so it kind of started shifting closer into like Bushwick and all of those other different places. That's something that we talked about because we had gone to some other neighborhoods a couple years ago that were sort of these emerging neighborhoods, but they were further outside, so it's just like a little bit more complicated to get there. But I do think that might be what hap- what is happening, and we're going to check that out the next time because we Ooh, have to know. Can't wait to hear. Yeah, we got to know, right? It's, I feel like it has to. That's like. I, I like the creativity is not gone. Those people are still around. You know, I, I can imagine that they're probably just going to be sh- like kind of shifting away from the Nike. I I hope so because the shift that we saw on this most recent visit, especially on the main streets of the Harajuku shopping area, it was it was wild. It was disconcerting when we got off the train. I was like, it's like I know where I am, but I almost like, feel like where I don't. Am I? <laughs> right. There this were is not what I signed up for. Tons of construction has been happening in the past few years with a lot of new buildings, like bigger, gl- more glassy, modern buildings replacing smaller ones. And Western brands from Zara to Nike occupy huge spaces now. A lot of the cafes and smaller shops that we came to know were gone. And we're talking vintage stores and cafes there was one cafe that was like apartment themed um we went there once because we were tired and it was so full of cigarette smoke and then we got kind of (laughs) drunk but anyway like that's gone now you know it's gone because now there is an ikea basically across the street from the harajuku station yep ikea has arrived and we were both like wait what Like, we'd seen one the day before, maybe two days before, in Shibuya. And you, like, it was surprising, but, like, you almost kind of expect that in Shibuya because that's, like, more mainstream shopping, kind of. Like, I, it's not so neighborhoody. It's, like, this is where you go to go shopping. Shibuya, fine. Put an Ikea in there. But then to see one right there in Harajuku was, it was shocking. Um, I So I, I looked into this, and I learned that Ikea tried to move into Japan in the late 70s, but it was a flop. And the company closed its Japanese store in 1986. But in the last 10 or so years, Ikea has actually been able to find success this time. Um, It opened stores in Harajuku and Shibuya in 2020, despite the raging pandemic. Like, I want to say the Shibuya one was in, like, October or something of that year. They just moved forward with it. As depressing as this sounds, we saw a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Right? We saw so many people walking around with Ikea bags everywhere. I was like, wow, okay. And, like, we didn't go into Ikea. I, we, I was like, maybe we should. Maybe it's different here. And Dustin's like, no, that's the thing about Ikea. It's not supposed to be. It would be the same. And we peeked through the window, and it was super busy. And I did see the cinnamon rolls. 
<laughs> for sale. So maybe it is oh, really? exactly the same. Yeah, it was, it was so. Did they have like a lot of like, gr- I mean, you didn't go inside. I'm just like imagining if they have, if they sold more of like the smaller items. Okay, or- so that was something that we talked about. We're guessing, I mean, this is basically from looking in the windows and trying to grasp the layout of the store, that probably you can order furniture, but it has to be delivered. Yeah, that yeah. would make sense. So that, like, you didn't... It, it's like showrooming. Yeah, it looked, it looked more, to me, like, a little bit more elegant than the regular Ikea, but I think that's also because, like, we were looking into the showrooms and not, like, what is it called? Like, mm-hmm. self-service furniture pickup or whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly. Pulling, pulling your car around. And... Yeah, yeah, no one's doing that there. But really, really disappointing. And that complex that Ikea occupies is filled with a lot of other big Western brands. And, like, all the businesses that were there before are gone. So, I, I guess I'm not surprised by this. I mean, this is, like, how the world has been going. There was still a lot of construction happening while we were there, so it's going to be interesting and possibly depressing to see what is there when we come back. Like I said, I saw an enormous Zara that wasn't there before. It was sort of diagonal from La Forette, and there is a Shein shop on Cat Street. Of course. Um, Time Out calls Cat Street the spiritual home of Tokyo's vibrant street fashion culture. And I will say, definitely, it was. Um, It has always been the home to the coolest small brands. Now there's a she in there. I mean, I feel like that is a metaphor for something. It says something about a changing Harajuku, right? None of this surprises me, like I said, because we see this kind of big brand gentrification all over the place. It's been happening here in Austin on South Congress. South Congress once being like the coolest neighborhood full of local businesses. And now we've got brands like Nike, Reformation, Lululemon, and Love Shack Fancy moving in there into brand new builds while small businesses move out because they can't afford the rent anymore. Um, In terms of Harajuku, I can't help but think that several years without tourism really created this situation in which small small brands, small businesses, they couldn't continue to keep their doors open after missing all those years of business. Because who could, right? But big companies had the resources to weather that storm, and then they could swoop in on the available real estate as things exactly. started to reopen, right? So yeah, the like pandemic that, created that, this. All this, like, incredible real estate that they've been just, you know, gagging over is finally right. free. Right. So that's all very depressing. But there is some good news. And here's here's one thing. Secondhand shopping is bigger than ever in Japan for customers of all ages and aesthetics. And, you know, we talk here about, you know, we are living in kind of a renaissance of secondhand shopping here in the United States, right? But the secondhand shopping we're talking about is, for the most part, online. It's like Poshmark and Depop and Mercari and Etsy and people selling straight to you on Instagram and all these other places. And yes, there are places to shop IRL for secondhand clothing, but not in the way it is in Japan. And in fact, in Japan, people just don't shop online like we do here. Brick and mortar is very much alive. They don't. Right? Exactly. Shopping online is it's always been sort of a, it's a different cultural situation. Totally. Totally. So vintage has always been a big deal in Japan, and specifically Western vintage, with the vast majority of vintage for sale in Japan coming from the U.S. and Canada. I have so many friends who are in one way or another 
part of that supply chain of getting vintage from the United States, from Canada over to Japan. Um, and they make a good living. And if you go to the Rose Bowl flea market, you'll see tons of Japanese buyers in there sourcing to take back home. But now for the first time, I saw straight up secondhand contemporary clothing stores as well. Um, and someone called out something. I posted a video on Instagram of secondhand shopping in Osaka. And someone said, you know, it's interesting. There they just straight up say used clothes. But here in the United States, we like tiptoe around that. And we're like secondhand, pre-loved, that kind of thing. But we don't say used, but they, I mean, they are, I don't understand why we don't like, nobody's like, ew, your car, you bought a used car. I don't know, it's really <laughs> it's weird. We're all, we're all weird. Um, anyway, and like I said, like secondhand clothing is a big brick and mortar business in Japan. All retail in Japan for the most part is really dependent on brick and mortar business because e-commerce isn't a big deal in Japan the way it is here. Um, in fact, Man, I always say, and I know you feel the same way, Kim, that you could learn a lot about how to run a successful brick-and-mortar retail business by just spending a couple of days in Japan and going from store to store. It, whether it's a one-off boutique or like a national chain, they all really nail their merchandising, their storytelling, the in-store experience. Yeah, the customer experience is a very cultural phenomenon and like the product assortment it's so much more dialed in yeah. than we see here um even like big chains every store location will feel unique and neighborhood focused it's so dialed in to who is going to be shopping there every day giving them exactly what they want and i just i think many retailers here in the united states and in other western countries really fail because they try to be something to everyone Mm -hmm. And Japanese retailers like, no, this is our immediate service area, and this is who we're going to focus on. And they're gift wrapping. Oh, my God. Don't even get me I know. Started. I know. Oh, my God. Incredible. It's true. It's true. Also, one time, of course, I got my period while I was in Japan, and I couldn't find tampons, so I had to go buy pads, and it was like a really intense experience all around because I, for the first time ever, felt embarrassed buying hygiene products, at least the first time since I was a teenager. And so I was like, I'm going to buy some other things too to disguise this. <laughs> like the classic move, right? I'm like, oh, I'm going to get this conditioner. And like, are you shopping with my dad? Oh yeah. He was with me. Actually, it was great. Um, he kept calling them sanitary napkins. It was really awkward. Um, anyway, so I take, no, he doesn't call them sanitary napkins. He calls them ladies goods. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Ladies, things. That sounds like a brand. My one of my best friends growing up. Her name was Shannon Lynch, um, and her dad. She so she had only sisters and a bunch of them, right? And his for some reason her dad handled all of the shopping, and he called them sanitary napkins. And he'd be like, That's "Girls, I gross. got you more sanitary napkins." And I was like, Ugh. "Your dad can never say that around me again." I'm like napkins. so embarrassed. I know. Ugh. I know. Anyway, so I go up to the register with my basket of random things and sanitary napkins, and the cashier is a man, so I immediately feel embarrassed because I know this is a thing, right? I know it's going to be a thing. He takes, he rings up all of my non-hygiene product stuff and wraps it up like in a normal bag and puts it in a bag. Then he takes the bag <laughs> of pads, goes around a corner where he wraps them in a piece of paper and tapes it up completely 
puts that in a bag, then brings that bag and puts it in the other bag so that I will never have to accidentally bear the shame of people knowing that there are pads in that bag. <laughs> oh like, my gosh. I feel so embarrassed right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It was wrapped up like a Christmas gift, basically. Um, and I was like, Dustin, this is a wild. This is what I picture the 1950s were like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sure my dad would have actually really appreciated that. Just in case, like, he tripped and his bag went flying and the thing went mm -hmm. flying out. Yeah, no one would know. They'd be like, oh, that's just a gift. I told you the story about how one of his friends was attacked by a box of tampons and... <laughs> And it broke his glasses, and he fell on the ground. Okay. And then my dad refused okay. to go into the into the the women's needs Just aisle. <laughs> I think everybody who's listening to this can agree that how it didn't how did that happen? it didn't happen okay it didn't happen. even let's just say we pick the heaviest biggest box of tampons we can think of like they have a plastic applicator and there's like a hundred of them and they're extra super or whatever I mean, what are you at costco yeah it's still not gonna break your glasses no. Yeah, it's like it fell on his head, it broke his glasses, it knocked him down. No, like whole, nope, did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> this is like this story that my grandma told us growing up, and it was the reason we could never go to Burger King. And I took it as like the Lord's gospel until I was yes, an adult. Of course, of course. And I was like, huh, this doesn't add up. So according to her, an elderly man went to the Burger King I don't know, in the town where my grandma lived, I think. And he asked for water. And they said, I'm sorry, we don't give water to people who aren't customers. And he died. Oh. <laughs> God, that sounds like, yes, I'm, I'm familiar with these types of stories. And so we could never go to Burger King when I was a kid, which romanticized it for me. I was like, oh, of course. the promised land, the exotic food Ooh. that we call Burger King someday so when I'm old enough to the elderly. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I, as it, I reached adulthood, I remember someone asking me if I'd ever been Burger King and I said, no, like, here's why. And I told them the story and they were like, I mean, you don't believe that story, do you? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, There's, I feel like we're missing some of the plot. And I like people don't just fall over dead because they are denied a cup of water. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess they're right. All of a sudden there's cracks in your grandmother's story. I know, but I think she really believed it. Just like your dad believes that story about the man being attacked by a box of tampons being Either thrown to the ground. Or, or made it up. I think he still talks about it to this day. So, I mean, it definitely was a trauma. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry for him. Anyway, mm. yes, that was a quite, we really took a detour there. But I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm like, everyone. Oh, no, I'm glad. I think it's really important for people to know that people <laughs> might be spreading <laughs> untrue false. stories about false rumors about tampons, the feminine needs aisle. In fact, I would just invite all of you if you have a story that <laughs> someone told you as a kid that you now as an adult believe might not be true, send it our way because we would love to talk about those here on the pod. Um, I know we're not the only ones. <laughs> no, we're not. But anyway, back to Japan. Uh, you and I touched on this a couple episodes ago, but I just want to say again, can we just talk about how amazing the malls are? Like they're not, oh, they, even just like being in so them, good. they're so good. And it's not like a Western mall. Um, no, it's not, it's not like the same Abercrombie everywhere. The same gap. It's just like these incredible assortments and they're all 
you know, they're they're specific to their customer demographics. They all they all like appeal to some different sensibility. Absolutely. It's awesome. Like the brands that are in a specific mall space are really curated to one specific demographic group. Whether that's teenagers or adults with a lot of money who like, you know, higher end brands or like vintage influenced outdoor wear or what have you. You'll find a mall like that. I did go to one mall once in Kyoto. It was years ago. I think I think Dustin had forgotten socks or something like that. And it was like, oh my God, he doesn't bring socks on vacation. We went over to this mall that was near the train station and it felt like a pretty Western mall. There was even a Forever 21 in there, which is where Dustin bought socks, I'm pretty sure. Um, that one felt like the most like a Western mall, but with like way nicer bathrooms in that like, as we are used to here at, at malls, each store was in its own siloed separate space with a door that locks and probably its own bathroom. And like, it's its own space, right? That's independent of the space next to it. It's not connected to the store next to it. But the malls in Japan tend to feel more like open multi-vendor brand concepts where the customer Definitely. just meanders from brand to brand, not separated by walls. and each brand will have like its own staff in their space, but there's not walls and a door closing it off. You know, like they might have their own fitting rooms too for that space, but like you walk five more feet and suddenly you're in another brand space, right? Like you're in yes. another store, if you will. Um, anybody who says that brick and mortar is dead needs to go to Japan to learn how to do it better because it just, it feels like an experience. It doesn't feel like going to the mall when you find the space that is the aesthetic that you like, you are just like, I, I can't believe how, how one thing after another appeals to me. Because we're mm -hmm. used to being like, if you do go to the mall, you're like, okay, there's three places in there. I'm going to go and then I'm getting out of here. Like, exactly. Right. And it smells and I have a horrible headache. Yeah, exactly. Get me out of here. So basically from carefully curated malls and these amazing shopping areas to more limited product assortments and cohesive visual storytelling, Japanese retail just kills it in a way that as a longtime buyer and merchandiser, I can really appreciate. Like, I am just like, wow, like amazing. And it makes sense why the online shopping culture isn't as strong or pervasive. I mean, literally the shopping in Japan is just so phenomenal. Why would you go and online? The experiences, exactly. Exactly. Everything is just more intentional, more curated, and more special. And shopping online there is really difficult. You're not going to see that kind of assortment. The websites are not built out from clunky, a UX experience. Exactly. Yeah, They're not what we're accustomed to here because people will prefer to shop in real life. Yes. And 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 even if even if a brand really tries to put in I know this from experience, tries to put in an effort um, to build up their e-commerce brand. It, they just, the customer just doesn't convert yeah, there. It's just don't. not where they're, sh they're shopping. So even if you had an, an, an amazing site, it's not going to be a particularly strong performer. Tr truly. I mean, I would love to see data on this, I, but I, I speculate and I feel as if I'm true, I'm correct here. Um, I would suspect that if you encounter a, uh, a Japanese retailer that has a decent e-commerce uh, experience, it's probably because they're shipping a lot overseas. Yes, it's yeah. international. Yeah, for sure. Um, but back to secondhand shopping in Japan, we're talking actual stores all over the place, serving all aesthetics from streetwear and sneakers to cool men's outdoor heritage brands to fun kawaii fashion. 
Um, I even saw a store in Osaka, America Mura, which is a secondhand focused shopping neighborhood. Like every oh. store is secondhand. It's pretty amazing. Um, there was a store in there that was all secondhand Lolita clothing and accessories, which was really cool. I mean, just just amazing mm-hmm. to see it everywhere. And all these stores are super busy. People are walking around with their bags. I would love to see more IRL secondhand shopping in the U.S. that isn't thrifting. Like, I know that malls kind of suck at this point, but imagine if you could go to the mall and buy secondhand. That would be amazing. Like, someone needs to bring that experience to the mall because people mm-hmm. are ready for it here. And, you know, people who are a little shy about shopping secondhand are often really worried about fit and not being able to try it on. If they buy it on Poshmark or Depop, it won't be returnable. But imagine if you could just go to the mall and next to the Apple store, you could get second right. cool secondhand clothing. I feel like I actually saw that outside of Las Vegas. Oh, really? Um, at like Prim or something, which is like that town outside of Vegas. Oh, yeah. They had they have these, you know, these malls, they have these like um outlet malls and things mm-hmm. and of course you know everyone was struggling so much during the pandemic i we actually went in there to find we didn't go to the mall but we went into the parking lot because we were trying to find some food or something um i don't know why for some reason i always end up in prim i don't i have no <laughs> idea like i don't know why i'm always I in i feel like i always end up having to pee somewhere in prim just prim jeez. anyway i remember seeing this giant you know like everything else was like you know it, it, you could see like the shadow outline of the logo on the oh, building yeah. because they had been taken down. But what was in there now was a giant thrift store. And I was like, that's so smart. So smart. I mean, what we <sighs> need is like a thousand, 10,000 more Buffalo exchange yeah. stores that are accessible to yeah. people outside of the city or who don't have time to go to flea markets or are nervous about shopping online. Like, let's just get those out there for everyone without all the dumb, like new downtown fast fashion clothes that a lot of places like yes. Buffalo exchange are now selling. Get that out of there. No one needs it. Yeah. But I, I, I think this is a trend that I would love to see make its way from Japan, you know? And yeah, and just, I think that's awesome. So fingers crossed. If anybody wants to start this big secondhand clothing chain, talk to me. Okay. So let's talk about the fashion trends that we saw. And I'm going to preface this by saying like, listen, just because it's a fashion trend doesn't mean you need to adopt it. It doesn't even need that you need to buy new clothes for it. You might already have clothes that fit this in your closet. You can secondhand the little things that you need if these are things that sound right for you. What I love about fashion trends actually is for people who have been wanting to dress this way for a long time but felt too nervous, now they have their chance without feeling like they're wrong. They get to feel empowered to take that risk to try something new. So doesn't mean I want you to go to Shein right now and load up your cart. <laughs> um, and I mean, honestly, the trends that I was seeing there, they align so well with this culture of secondhand first. Um, all of the like less expensive fashion retailers like Wago and there's another one called Spins and a bunch of other more, we would call them more juniory, I guess. All of them, at least 50% of their store footprint was secondhand clothing at this point, mixed in with new. And I thought that oh. was incredible. Oh, well, um, that really does say something. That really says something, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the first trend that I saw, I'm tentatively calling it grandparent core, but we might call it boomer core. Mm. <laughs> um, because it's not like what we think of when we think granny. We think doilies and flower prints, and, you know, all 
all of these previous grandma trends were really like truly what we think of as grandmas. But real talk, the boomers are grandparents, okay? So we're talking about that generation of grandparents when we talk about grandparent core. And it's really about what boomer grandparents might wear. Like maybe what they started wearing in the early 90s and they just kind of kept wearing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're talking straight up cold water creek style sweatshirts which i know you're a big fan of yeah you know that's mall that's 90s mall oh so 90s mom we're talking like maybe a cardinal in the snow or i i showed some to you that were like here's like a springer spaniel out in a field of wheat and like a goose is flying by oh gosh yes naturey kind of stuff dustin has this amazing sweatshirt that we thrifted which i'm always like this every time he puts it on, I'm like, thanks for finally dressing in a way that appeals to me. Like this is his version of wearing <laughs> lingerie for me. And it's like a navy blue sweatshirt. And it's all these different illustrations of fall things on it. It's a total grandma sweatshirt. It's like, here's some pumpkins. And this then you know, here are the geese flying south uh-huh. and all of that. And like an, a barrel of apples, all of that. Anyway, I'm always like, thanks for putting on your sexy sweatshirt. So Coldwater Creek style sweatshirts. Uh, that brand, Chaps by Ralph mm-hmm. Lauren. <laughs> Such a grandpa brand. Seinfeld style jeans with like the weird fit and the yes. stone wash, light washes, you know, of which I speak. Chambray button ups, but like literally buttoned up and tucked in. Kind of ugly Skechers esque shoes. This is like this is like a, that, that ugly core, norm core situation. But like a little bit more boomer. Like boomer nine, yeah, yeah, real, like older, older person, even older. Uh, okay. yeah, even older, right? Um, mm-hmm. fleece zip ups, very nineties mixed mm-hmm. stitch sweaters, purple and yellow worn together, which to me is so late eighties, early nineties to me. It's also it feels like the bottom of the barrel at the thrift store, uh-huh, like, I, like yeah. five years ago. Totally, and now it's cool. Now it's cool. All of this stuff, right? Uh-huh. Um. One thing we called out were these kind of uncool 90s sunglasses. So Dustin and I were sitting in a restaurant in Kyoto, and he was like, oh, my God, is that Maurice Gibb out there? And I was like, oh, who? My God. And he was like, when you and Kim talk about this, you need to include a picture of Maurice <laughs> I see Gibb. Him. Which I, was I, have. What, I was wondering why you put his so, photo in here. These are these, like, really tiny wire glasses uh-huh. with colored lenses, which were totally a thing in the early 90s. And... Dustin Wait, wasn't was, that like wasn't like David Letterman's? Yeah, totally, also, exactly. Name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul Schaefer. Paul Schaefer. It's a tough look to pull off. It is. Um, and Dustin <laughs> was like, "Here's what I see happening when I see those sunglasses on oh someone. I'm like, oh, this was like a guy who was like doing a cool thing in like 1991, and then he just keeps buying the same sunglasses yes. forever. Um, but like Kim, they were like in all the cool stores." <laughs> And like the the guy uh, that Dustin was like, is that Maurice Gibb? Couldn't have been more than 25. So like it was weird. And he he had a haircut too, like that like Caesar y kind of haircut that like was so big in the 90s. I think George Clooney even had it. Definitely that that is part of this aesthetic too. Um just man, I you know, I took a bunch of pictures and then wasn't happy with them. So I came home and like pulled photos from retailers that I visited there. And so like all the pictures we're going to share on Instagram are actually from Japanese stores. No shit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That actually, I mean, because I'm looking at these, I'm like, these are great. I Minus just the, the picture were... of Maurice Gibb. That is right. 
it's still low. It really, it's a deep cut, and uh, it's it really resonates with us. <laughs> he said I had to promise <laughs> to include that. It's uh, excellent. <laughs> so the good news for all of you, if you're ready to get into Boomer Core, is that uh, go to the thrift store right now. As Kim said, it's there. Bottom of the barrel. Yeah, probably get a hot deal. No one's going to fight you over it. No. Um, <laughs> no Kim, my question for you is, would you wear this? Oh, uh, yeah, 100%. Um, it looks really comfortable, and that's kind of um, that's my jam these days. Is okay. just I don't know about the sweater. <laughs> the sweaters um, are so cold water creek, though. Yeah, that it hurts a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. But I could, I, I, I'd say I do the glasses. I do all these, these sweatshirts. <laughs> I do this, the, the quarter zip um, sweatshirt. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. So maybe we'll see some other people doing this as well. Um, okay, this is not a broad sweeping trend, but it's something that we actually talked about in our trend prediction show. And remember, I hadn't been to Japan then yet, but you know that I was very super excited Girl, about that. We got this one. The return of the late 90s futuristic mega platform shoe. Yep. It's so rocket dog. That's what Dustin said. He was like, oh my God, are those rocket dogs? And they weren't. And we saw this from like extremely high-end, like $500 athletic shoes that are like artisanally made um, to like shoes that we could see at Wago that might be like 50 bucks. These also look, look kind of like those those weird shoes that I sent you from Ugg. That I was yes. like, these are really cool, but I don't think I could wear Uggs. I just can't because someone might yell across the room, yeah. hey, are those Uggs? And then I'd have yeah, to go like, hide forever. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Never so, show your face again. One of the, we, the, the first, maybe it was the second day, we were on the subway and some of the subway trains in Japan will show like advertisements <laughs> like on a TV, you know? And there was this ad that was playing over and over again for that brand Onotsuka Tiger. Um, and all the shoes were like rocket dog crazy oh platforms. yeah i see this that they're great of course i wanted to buy a pair while i was there because you know, i was wondering so i didn't because i oh. have humongous feet i can't get them there but i came home looked them up on their website and you can buy them here oh, awesome. in american sizes so we're gonna share some photos of those as well but like i was just beyond to see these shoes because they're so comfortable i have so many like nostalgic feelings about it um and i think we're gonna see a lot more of that i mean i can't wait to see what tie comes up i know part of this i was literally just thinking that i was like i really hope ty is listening to this yes i hope so too okay so this the shoes i just talked about are kind of part of the next trend and this is another great trend that you can pull together entirely secondhand and with stuff you already own it's the 90s skate life and this this is a personal favorite for me as someone who I mean, this is episode 69. I'll just go ahead and say I was titillated by 90s <laughs> skate culture. I was so titillated by it mm-hmm. that I wallpapered the ceiling of the closet where I slept freshman year of college with pages ripped from trans world skate. I mean, I just loved the aesthetic. I thought everyone who did it was so cute and sexy. Yeah, and absolutely. So seeing this in Japan felt like running into a friend you haven't seen for a long time and being reminded of how much you adore them. Like, I was just beside myself. Was it the boys and girls wearing it, yep. or just the boys? Both. Okay. Both. A lo- all of these trends, except for the last one I'm going to talk about, were very unisex, which I appreciated, that it didn't feel so divided aesthetically. Um, so 
we're talking wide leg jeans, mm-hmm. like mega wide leg jeans, yeah. almost raver level, humongous, humongously oversized hoodies and sweatshirts, humongous flannels, and like that 90s kind of plaid that is sort of like, I don't know, it's got like a fade to it or something. I put some photos in here. It's not buffalo plaid, and it's not like a vintage plaid. It is this very specific kind of plaid and plaid flannel that was so 90s. Mm-hmm. I know I know what it is. Yeah, it's the one that, that yeah, I had a bunch of them. I got them Me from, too, me too. But from, you haven't uh, seen it since then, you know? Yeah, no, it, it has not been big. I remember, yeah, I got it from, uh, uh, what was in the mall? Not the limited, but. Express? Yes, Express. Oh, man. Back when Express had, like, really nice mm-hmm. clothes. Yeah. Yeah, so that. 90s flannel, hugely oversized, humongous cargo pants, bucket hats, huge, huge, huge. bucket hats, oversized pom-pom beanies, meaning not the beanie is oversized, but the pom-pom is really huge. That's also so 90s. We saw this pant over and over again that stores were calling easy pants and they're sort of like dustin was like i think these are the kind of pants you wear in prison where you just pull them on they're like woven twill and you like there's a drawstring Mm -hmm. but i dylan's father wore these all the time and he got them at urban outfitters in like 1999 and he was like the coolest dude it's those pants um hairy oversized kurt cobain cardigans yeah you know like mohair or fake mohair those very specific You've seen Kurt Cobain wearing them, 90s Jackie O sunglasses. Yes, that are like uh, narrow. Yeah, yeah. Often mm-hmm. the lenses are colored. Um, ball chain jewelry. Oh, whoa, really? Yeah, yep, yep. And very excited about this, the return of the cargo maxi skirt. Oh, I, a, d- I was just talking about that. I know, a personal fave of mine. You rock that with some rocket dogs. I mean, that's a look, it's rock- right? <laughs> yeah, that sounds comfort. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like love this trend. I think it's very easy to adopt if you want to or try out with stuff you already have and maybe some secondhand items or borrowing stuff from your friends. I would one hundred percent wear this. Would you wear this? Yeah. Oh yeah, I used yeah. to wear this. Yeah, totally, right? I this was like so nostalgic for me, but like in a good way, not where I was like, oh God, now I feel old. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I feel happy. Um, and once again, like from the pants to the sweaters to the flannels, you could buy this stuff brand new for sure, but you could also like in terms of how I was seeing it presented in stores in Japan, like there might be a section of these kinds of items that were brand new, but then there will be even more of a selection of secondhand versions, which I just think is so great. You know what's also really funny is that there's not like a sexy dress or like a cropped top in sight. No, no, it's not that weird like, oh, but make it cute kind of yeah. version of this at all. Like, I'm going to show off my abs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this actually, you know, I was thinking about our episode about recession trends mm-hmm. while I, I was in Japan because obviously like, Japan has been having a tough time economically for a while, actually, but the pandemic has made it a lot worse. And I felt that in general, everybody, the clothing options were a lot more covered up. Yeah, it was like the the hemline sort of situation. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's what it. Yes. Okay. Fascinating. Okay. I so love this that. this next trend, I'm calling craft core. 
And this has actually been picking up momentum here in the United States during the pandemic, thanks to, you know, the rise of the incredible upcycle makers on Instagram. And I can't help but wonder if this is the rare trend that is imported into Japan rather than exported. I will say that this trend was really only available at a higher price point, often in finer boutiques and pop-up shops. I saw a lot of amazing examples in La Ferrette, which is this hyper-cool mall in Harajuku. It's incredible. Um, And also, there's a fancy new Beams shop that opened in the Ace Hotel complex in Kyoto. Um, I saw some, like, really bougie versions of this there as well. Craftcore is all about upcycling, or at least the illusion of upcycling. So we're using patchwork mixed fabrics, crochet, other salvaged materials. If you travel in the same social media circles as, as me, you know this look very, very well. I saw a lot of dance goes in this space, which I'm not mad about. Not um, I mad. actually sent a link to Kim earlier this week for these. <laughs> I don't know how to describe them because they're almost sort of like futuristic dance goes. They're, like, they're like jellies. Jellies. Yeah. They're colors that are like various different colors of like sheer plastic. Uh, that's what the shoe is made of instead of it being like solid leather or whatever. And they're so cool. Like this could, that could be a part of this. That almost is like a point of intersection between I think craft core and the skate trend. So another thing that I saw a lot of were dried flower arrangements of all sizes. Like this is a trend oh. for sure. And I think that that is part of this craft core because a lot of these flower, these dried flower arrangements were made by small makers who would have little like pop-up booths in different shopping areas. That's so interesting. Like in higher end shopping areas, you know, um, I definitely saw a pop-up shop of dried bouquets in La Ferrette, but we also saw them at some super cute boutiques in Kyoto. And it just seems like it's part of that. Like, do you wear dance goes? Do you like upcycle clothing? Here, have we got a whole thing for you? Um, and, you know, I shared some photos uh, uh, with mm-hmm. you, Kim, of this trend. And I mean, like, this is not new to us. Although some of the pieces I saw, I was like, oh, my God, these are so cool. And none of this was, like, cheap. Like, we're talking hundreds of dollars for most of these things, which is fair because they're yeah. like handmade and yes. there's a lot of artistry involved. And it seems like that they actually respect the artisan's time and ex- yeah. respect yeah. craft and totally. put, put a higher price on it. So those are like the big, big uh, style trends that I saw. But I saw, you know, for example, we talked about this tool trend that Pinterest is predicting. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of tool skirts often paired with like super oversized sweaters or sweatshirts. Oh, that actually looks, sounds pretty cute. I mean, that's literally what I'm wearing right now, guys. I'm wearing oh. a humongous sweatshirt <laughs> and a tool skirt. And Dustin was like, wow, you look like you just got back from Japan. And I was like, that's right. Um, that's the plan. That's the plan. Um, okay, so another thing that I saw, which I was telling Kim a couple of days ago that was surprising to me, especially because, you know, Kim lives in LA. I lived there for a long time. We, we got a lot of crunchy friends. <laughs> crystals yeah no not not swarovski crystals but like you know magical crystals i really wanted to do a whole podcast on crystals as a trend um that that might be a 2023 i think that's a great idea 
But we I need feel to get like, like Amanda. Our, I think it's Amanda special. Do you think? I was thinking we need to get our friend who's the most into it to come and talk to us about it. Like, do we have a friend that's really into? I it? feel like <laughs> ties into some stuff. Into or he will know someone. Okay, he'll know someone. Anyway, I saw crystal shops as we traveled around, which I had not noticed before, and I even saw more crystal themed gifts, including fake crystal tchotchkes and all of those gotcha pwn machines and i interesting that says something to me about yes. it sweeping its way it really right? is so the other thing i want to talk about and i already know an episode i'm going to do soon with you it's about the trend it's sweeping the world it's big here in the united states it's called kadult have you heard about this i yes i have Okay. Yes. So I mean, well, uh, that, that that serial trend was the kidult serial trend as well. Yes. Yeah, so ki- it's the serial trend is part of this larger kidult trend, which mm-hmm. we're gonna. I'm that's gonna be the next episode that I put together because Cute. I'm fascinated by it. Um, and it's really, I mean, like I learned some fun facts. Hold on, I have them here on a notepad. I was so basically, my employer. We are doing a rebrand with an outside agency. Um, and you know, I've been like sharing all kinds of data and stuff with them as we work to like understand how we can be a better fit for our customer and really stand out out there. And based on our data, I mean, they didn't tell me anything I didn't already know, but like we, we are really catering to this adult, adult Mm -hmm. customer. I just had never heard that term before. They told me that 65% of Squishmallow customers, Squishmallows are these stuffed animals. Uh, 65% of the customers are aged 18 to 24 and they're buying them for themselves. Um, oh, okay. 24% of toys that were bought between June of 21 and June of 22 were bought by adults for themselves. And this is really changing retail here in the mm. United States. Um, people are moving away from buying things like clothes, right? Um, and maybe even from buying alcohol and things like that and shifting into buying toys that give them that comfort of nostalgia totally so like legos for example like like emotional product yeah exactly it's so emotional i think that's Mm -hmm. a great way to describe it and so you know there is a robust adult market for 50 dollars stuffed animals let me tell you i know all about it so we're gonna do a future episode about that and i guess in a certain way adult culture has been prevalent in Japan a lot longer because people are collectors of pop culture paraphernalia, whether it's Sanrio or blind boxes or favorite anime merch, like that kind of stuff. Like it's very prevalent and there are toy stores all over the place. Like there's a great one in Harajuku called Kitty Land that's like four or five stories. And yes, there are some toys in there for children, but the majority of it is for adults who are collectors. Um, and so it's always been relevant there, right? It's coming here in a bigger way. Definitely probably a trend that moved from east to west. Um, and I saw this adult trend kind of going to the next level by merging art with it, with makers creating these artisanal high-end stuffed animals, wow. all one of a kind, all a work of art, but also capturing that child nostalgia kind of energy. We're talking $80 and up. Yeah, totally. They're like collectible art. And they can but be you gifted. Also... Yeah, exactly. And I saw so many amazing ones and you know this isn't something we think about a lot of like makers creating plush i thought that was a really cool that's a really cool trend yeah 
yeah, I'd like to see more of that, actually. I'm going to be keeping my eye on that one for sure. I think it's amazing. Um, and it's just another way, you know, I think we get so hung up, like if you're a maker and you want to have a successful business that you have to sell clothes. But I would urge you to think more about other things that, I don't know, elicit mm -hmm. a nostalgia and mm -hmm. comfort with people. And stuffed animals are a really great example. And you could totally go completely like upcycled materials, you know, and really express your creativity there. Yeah. Okay, so another one that has been going strong for years and just continues to keep going is 80s and 90s outdoor brands. Oh, yeah, 100%. And Dustin loves this. Oh my God, the number of color-blocked out outerwear oh, pieces yeah. I've had to look at with him <laughs> over the years there. He's a hem and hauler, which mm -hmm. I appreciate. Oh. It means... We have to try on everything mm -hmm. 35 times mm -hmm. and still not make a decision. A and then like we're on the <laughs> And then we're on the flight home. And he's still talking about it. And he's like, Oh, I should have bought that jacket. Buyers remorse. Or I guess lack of buyers lack remorse. Lack of buyers remorse. So I'm still seeing this everywhere there. And I actually bought myself some really cute binoculars to cute. up my bird watching game. I'm really into I've been into birding basically since the pandemic began. Um, and the, the ones that I bought are co a collab between Vixen, which is a binocular maker, and Coleman, which, you know, Ooh. is like an American outdoor brand. They're super late 80s outdoor brand colors. They're actually really cute. I specifically, I've been trying to find binoculars for a couple years now, and I wanted some that were small and metal, not plastic, because I wanted them to last. It's like Wes Anderson, very twee. Very, very twee. I wanted them to be small enough to fit in my purse or my mm -hmm. pocket, but be metal and not plastic and be really high quality. Amazing. And, and I just wasn't finding them here in the United yeah. States. And Dustin said, I bet you could find some in Japan. And I was like, I don't know, like the electronics are better there, but binocular technology. And wouldn't you know, we went to Bic Camera and it was like right there, hundreds of kinds of binoculars. <laughs> I mean, I've been trying to find um, uh, some coolers, some like a cool kind of a retro vintage cooler, but that's also high quality and it's so hard to find. I can't it's find so anything. so hard. Everything I bet is Japan. Plastic. You have to get in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently I'll look the next time I'm there for you. I do, I do remember last time I was there, which of course was like, you know, 2018, I think, um, mm -hmm. that there was a big trend in, it was like kind of... Nostalgic vintage, um, like American military goods. Mm, still, still there. Yeah. Yeah. I always yeah. love that. It's really cool. It's really specific to like Japan culture mm -hmm. um, to do these kind of like branding explorations around that. Mm -hmm. um, I love that stuff. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I will say like what bummed me out a little bit on this trip is that. And, you know, I think this is totally the function of, like, what's ha happening economically in Japan is that there were a lot more small stores that really focused on this vintage mm -hmm. out outdoor brand military aesthetic. And a lot of them were gone this time. And oh. Dustin was sad. Yeah. So would be so maybe they'll make sad. a comeback. Hopefully. I know. I know. Um, okay. So the last one I have, which... Uh, is kind of interesting uh, and was sort of surprising to me. And once I became aware of it, I couldn't unsee this. And I think this is really more of a print, home goods, mm. other application trend. It's kind of a complicated one. So 
there is a lot of nostalgia right now for Showa-era glassware. And so the Showa era was in the last century. And when we, the trend I'm about to talk to about is really focused on the 50s and 60s, maybe the early 70s. The glassware of that era, like the most well-known brand, was this glassware brand called Adaria, which has been making glass in Japan for more than 200 years. And there is so much nostalgia for the print of this era mm. that they used on all of their glassware. And it's very, it's like floral, but it's like very... Oh, it's so cute. It's like very 60s floral, right? And it's very closely associated with retro cafes, which are cafe coffee shops that have been around since the 50s, 60s, 70s, and that haven't really changed much aesthetically. And they have, there are some amazing ones in Tokyo, like the decor, it's like frozen in time. It's stunning. And they also serve a pretty classic menu, which includes these ice cream sodas. They that look are incredible. Like, is that what that is? Right? Yes. So I really wanted to go on this trip. I just could not do it. Definitely doing it the next time. But it's basically like, take a beautiful glass Put some ice in there, put in maybe a green melon, melon soda, add a scoop of ice cream and put a cherry on top. Oh, it's like a classic dessert. That treat. is a TikTok trend waiting to happen. I know, I know. And so part of this nostalgia for these prints and this glassware aesthetic, part of it is also the, so the cream sodas. It's all tied together and the desserts and whatnot. So once I started seeing this trend, I started to see it everywhere in all kinds of product categories. So actually, I first saw it in some blind boxes at a nice toy store. And I was like, huh, interesting. And it was all the little sodas and these printed glasses. And they kept referring to Adaria. And I was like, what are they talking about? And then I went into another store where I actually saw all kinds of stationary goods stickers, note cards, postcards, paper, pens, you name it, washi tape, all of it with these prints. Oh, wow. And I was like, these prints are so interesting to me because they're very vintage. They're very colorful, but like with each print only maybe having two, maybe three colors each, like there's something about them. And then I started to realize that a lot of these prints were being applied to illustrations of glasses of soda. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, I actually had to do some digging to figure out where this was, where it was coming from. And then it was like every store I went to that did home goods or stationery or gifts or even some of the more like junior aged like gift shops and whatnot had products with these prints on them and the sodas. Sometimes not the sodas, just the prints, but it was just everywhere it's like tulips and daisies yeah. and yeah we're gonna share all of these on instagram for you over the coming days um this is one that is so inspiring for me like visually did you get any i didn't i have i have uh, regrets obviously well you'll, you'll be back <laughs> you'll be back be the first place I know, to go. I was, you know i really try to keep my consumerism in check yeah. anyway it's really really hard in japan because you're like, it's everywhere and everything is stuff you haven't seen before. And then on top of that, you're not going to see it again when you go home and you know you're not going to be able to get it. But I just was like, well, even though I want all of this glassware um, and that I guess I could buy it and take it home, but I already have glasses and I just couldn't reconcile it in my brain. But I did buy a package of pens that have the prints on them. And I did get a, and this was something I'd been needing on my trip. I really needed like... Uh, screen cleaning cloth, my laptop 
my laptop screen is embarrassing. Okay, everyone. I don't know why it's so dirty. It just is. So this is one of those like microfiber cloths that you clean your screen with. Um, and it's got like the little sodas and the printed glasses all over it. It's really, really cute. So that is what I bought. But like what I really want is all this glassware. <laughs> It's so beautiful, so beautiful. And it's all like reproductions of vintage prints or inspired by it. So I think I'm excited for all of you to see the images of this because I think, especially for all of you who are really design oriented or crafty or really love color, I think you're going to find mm -hmm. this really inspiring. Um, I agree. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing this one. So the last one I just wanted to touch on for you, because I, I knew that specifically this would be super interesting to Kimberly Christensen, oh. which is that Daiso is trying to give Muji, and I know you love Muji, no. a run for its money <gasps> with a new concept called standard products. What? Seriously, Kim, oh, the whole wow. thing felt like we, we went in. And I kept saying to Dustin, like, I'm so disoriented because this feels like bizarro Muji. Like, it was, like, wow. honestly, Mu I feel like Muji should be, like, a little bit mad about this. I don't know if they can, like, legally do anything about it. Probably not. But, like, <laughs> you and I have spent copious amounts of time in Muji over the years. And Daiso. And Daiso, right? So this is, like, department section by section, I guess you would say, just like Muji but the Daiso mm -hmm. version of it, but like oh, it is. the Muji is aesthetic, crazy. it's a crazy. They've I got, mean, it's even like the build out and the display. I know, I know. So the first one we saw was in Kyoto and I felt very confused because the sign outside said standard products, but like on the facade, there was a little tiny flag that said Daiso. And I was like, wait, what is the store? Yeah. And then I realized it was owned by them. And as we walked through the store, Kim, I mean, they didn't have like the clothes and the slippers and the socks and stuff like Muji does, but in terms of all the home goods, the stationery, all the novel little home organization things, um, the diffuser and the oils, which I think of as like the iconic Muji it purchase, is. they have it all. And I will say I smelled all their oils and they smelled really good. Oh, and they were like five. I mean, they've bucks. even got like the craft paper boxes. Yeah, it's it is down to the nickel. I know it is wild. <clears throat> it will be interesting to see if this is something that they start doing here in the United States because we have Muji here, right? And we uh -huh. have Daiso. And kill it would kill. It would kill. It was all a few dollars less expensive than Muji. Like everything. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. That is really exciting really exciting yeah so that that's my trip um i ate at least four egg salad sandwiches um on two separate <gasps> oh. occasions kim i went to 7-eleven mm -hmm. or a similar store and they were out of egg salad and i was forced to try something new that sounds like something you should be embarrassed to eat but is really good and that is a potato salad sandwich <laughs> I mean, you know that Japanese potato salad is so good. Put it between two thin oh, layers of pillowy bread. It's all it's like the cupy mayo. Yeah, it's just gonna uh, be, I'm it's like gonna salivating be right now, like, thinking about yeah. it. Um, definitely had a couple of those. Um, I had one of those sandwiches that is like the whipped cream and the fruit, but the bread was a little stale. Um, which that's fun. not acceptable. Yeah, very, very disappointing. I told Dustin, I just like 
I was like, you know, I'm not, it's not like I eat these regularly. I, I deserve the fresh bread. Um, but <laughs> the whole, everything was so busy because of everybody being off of work and traveling and whatnot that like, you really had to be smart about when you hit up the combini for dinner because it might be empty when you get there and you might it's have to true. eat something weird. Like one night I was forced to try. I was like, Amanda, get out, get out of your comfort zone here. Get that tray that says chicken with tartar sauce and vinegar on it. <laughs> oh no. What? <laughs> I said, Amanda, like you're, you know, you only live once. It might be, you like, might be delicious. It might be delicious. Like we would have never said an egg salad sandwich sounds good. I know, right? So, and that's that's the that's the mindset I was taking. Well, I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you, I tried it and I hated it so much that I have a <laughs> I have a grudge against Lawson for even putting it there in front of me. Um, and uh, I made this official decision on this trip, which Dustin he agrees with me in terms of the convenience store food ranking. Mm-hmm. It's Seven Eleven at the top, yes, followed by Family Mart, that's followed true. by Lawson. Unless okay. it's a Lawson Natural, which is their more like healthy organic version of Lawson, which we went to one for the first time, and that was great. Um, Fascinating, but still, no. Sometimes Seven Eleven is the winner, and I think mm-hmm. here at home, if you found out one of your friends was like regularly eating at Seven Eleven, you'd stage <laughs> an intervention. Yeah, it'd be really sad. Yeah, yeah, but there, it's like, oh wow, what a person it's of great normal. taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> the, the prepared food section at 7-Eleven. Yeah, I mean, here in the United States, what would that be? Uh, it's it's going to be those eggs that have been de-shelled, like the hard-boiled oh, eggs. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. You know? I went through I a mean, weird thing where I was into those. And then uh, my feelings on it turned down a dime. Now I can't. um yeah so anyway that was my trip and what i saw um i think it'll be really interesting like throughout this year i'm definitely going to be operating with these trends at top of mind our trend predictions and pinterest trend predictions and we're going to be updating you through the year as we see these things happening or not happening yeah exactly all right well that's all we have for you this week thank you bye 